The following podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It does not reflect the views or opinions of my university or its affiliates. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and as always, welcome to the Sister Wives Professor. That's me. I'm Dr. Adam. I am a professor of interpersonal and family communication. And I'm a follower of the TLC series, Sister Wives. And it is my great pleasure to talk to you today about that show, specifically Season 2, Episode 8, titled Sister Wives in Holiday Crisis. And boy, are they ever in both holiday and crisis in this episode. Some of these titles are not always the most accurate. Credit where credit is due. This one was. Before we get into the episode, as always, I have got to thank all of my wonderful patrons at patreon.com slash thesisterwivesprofessor. Everybody at the master's level and above just recently got access to my second ever Sister Wives deep dive podcast over 40 minutes of me just talking about kind of the first stage of what I think is Robin Brown's evolution within the Brown family, how she started, I think, doing table setting to become the Robin that we see today and to create really the version of the Brown family such as it is. And of course, there's always more coming, but I'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to Sister Wives. I'm so excited to talk to you about this show. I always am. Let's talk about the episode. Goodness. Okay. Excuse me. Got my A&W root beer here, as always. I don't know if I've mentioned that before. I mentioned root beer once, but a little peek behind the scenes. I almost always have a can of A&W diet root beer with me when I record this podcast. I'm a big diet A&W root beer guy. It's just kind of my go-to thing. It goes with everything. The episode, it opens with snow footage and lots of Christmas sort of instrumental songs too throughout the episode. I didn't mention this when I talked about episode seven, but the editors put in Christmas music too. And I love that stuff. I'm a big Christmas fan, so this this appeals to me. But we are back at the cabin up in the Utah mountains. And oh, good God, we start with a montage of all the Browns hacking and coughing and hacking and some coughing. Do you remember in the previous podcast when I talked about how Leon, as they were climbing up to get on the roof to help Mary with the Christmas lights, that they let out that big wet cough? Yeah, that was a precursor of things to come, wasn't it? The cabin, by the way, is so chaotic, everybody. There's this giant pile of coats and boots, which I'll talk about in a second. There's stuff, just stuff everywhere. There's so many people, and so many people need so many things. One baby alone needs so much stuff. 
and then you tack on like 500 adults and extra kids on top of that into a what looks like a you know not the biggest cabin in the world at one point there's even an overhead shot from the second floor down to the main living area and there is what i will lovingly refer to as coat mountain do you remember marjorie the trash heap from fraggle rock that coat and boot mountain reminded me of marjorie just the giant heap in the middle of this room. Just just wonderful. Shoutouts to Marjorie. And shoutouts to Jim Henson. Rest in peace, big dog. Gone but not forgotten. That man had one heck of a beard. Cody's laying way back into the couch in the cabin. Kind of weirdly reminded me of the talkbacks from the end of season 18. When Cody was just really leaning all the way back in the couch, the contrast being here, he's actually quite jovial, quite happy, and he's surrounded by people other than Robin, <laughs> specifically Hunter, Garrison, Logan, and Maddie, who is on her phone, as per usual in these episodes. Cody has his feet up, he's smiling, saying that everybody's sick, but they're in this winter wonderland, and he sounds genuinely quite happy. Madison nods, but she doesn't look up from her phone, so it seems like she does agree with her dad. Garrison, kind of half-hearted, says it works out, I guess. Garrison is a lot of things. He doesn't seem to be the most emotionally demonstrative person. Aurora comes over and lays down on top of Cody, which he greets her warmly in reaction, showing some, some comfort, obviously, and some closeness between Cody and Aurora, which is noteworthy because, obviously, this is a blending family, so to see that degree of closeness already is uh, something. The Browns are outside now, sledding on a steep, slick-looking hill that ends in this giant pile of snow piled outside of the cabin where the path had been plowed or snowblown or both. More on this later. We have a voiceover of the wives talking about how sunny it was outside and how the kids loved the snow even more than usual. And on the couch, Janelle is gesturing widely, talking about how it's somehow different with the snow because it's completely covering everything. And Christine speaks at the same time, agreeing with her. The kids do seem to be enjoying the deep snow quite a bit. It's, it's a lot of snow, and it's also sometimes when you take kids, or adults for that matter, outside of their normal element, and you give them the same things, but it's just sort of shaken up. They're just in a different place. It can kind of energize people, give some newness to things that they're already used to. And in this case, it's being able to go outside and play in the snow. We see Aurora, who is knee-deep in the snow drifts, even calls it awesome. And awesome, my friends, is the Brown family's favorite adjective. Cody on the couch with all the wives talks about finding out through the paper, remember newspapers, <laughs> that there was an investigation into the family. Cody's not looking at the camera as he says this. His eyes are moving around. He's got a slight frown on his face. He's clearly upset. He's managing it, but he's clearly upset. Christine is next to him, and she has more open display of emotion she says the investigation is over, and she pauses, then makes a big hand gesture, but they turn it over to the county, which Cody nods at, but he never changes his expression. My read on this would be that Cody is trying to kind of keep it together, and Christine is just more, you know, showing her emotions, but Cody almost looked kind of like a hangdog look on his face, not happy. Robin looks directly at the camera and then back at Cody several times as she speaks, saying it makes them nervous, very, very nervous, she says. I think she's looking to Cody for comfort and affirmation. 
looking at someone a lot, I mentioned this when I covered Welcome to Plathville on Patreon, but it can denote an insecurity. I don't mean that negatively, but just, you know, anybody can be insecure and look to their partner or someone they trust to make sure, like, hey, am I saying the right thing? You feel the same way, right? I think that's what's happening. Janelle kind of drops the bomb here about moving out of state, says they've discussed it a lot. Robin opens her mouth, by the way, as if she's going to speak, but she doesn't. Christine is looking downward and makes kind of a sarcastic-looking frown. I interpreted it as a sort of, well, what are you going to do kind of look, but I might have been wrong because of how Christine ends up talking about this in just a minute. Mary looks at Janelle, but she's not making much of an expression. I think she's more just paying attention to Janelle as she speaks. Here we go once again telling the same story about Christine's grandfather. If I sound annoyed, it's because I am annoyed. They broke up the family. They have mentioned this every episode, I feel like, this season. Now, family narratives are important, family stories that get passed on to generation to generation. You might have some of your own of stories of things that your grandparents or your parents did or stories that you tell your kids or whomever about just, you know, things about the family that stand out. These stories typically represent some sort of family value or some sort of character of the family, something that demonstrates resilience, something that demonstrates hard work. My dad, growing up, he always used to talk about driving an ice cream truck. So when he was a young person, when he was a teenager, because this was a long time ago, I mean, things were mm, less monitored at the time, less, less rules enforced, shall we say. And so my dad was a teenager and he had gotten his driver's license and so he just somehow got a job working in an ice cream truck. And he would tell this story. I would go to school all year, and then summer I would work. The ice cream truck is immaterial. The point of the story in terms of the family narrative for me growing up was the importance of hard work. And the importance of as soon as you can, you've got to have a job. And this is all just to say that family stories and family narratives become important because they shape the way that families look at things, look at the outside world. And so Christine's narrative, to the point about her grandfather's incarceration for bigamy charges is part of the culture of fear, frankly, that the Brown family, and I'm sure a lot of polygamists, especially at the time, had about outside influences and outside criticism, outside stigmatization, and illegality of what they're doing. Robin sort of echoes what Christine says, by the way, talking about if you look at the history, the logistics, they shouldn't be here anymore, meaning Utah. She frowns and nods in affirmation of her words. She didn't really contribute anything. It sounded, this is more of Robin's kind of kid sibling vibe. You know where you have two kids and the older sibling will explain something and then the younger one will say like the exact same thing with a few different words. That's kind of what Robin is coming across like. Madison is up on the catwalk of the cabin asking Cody about the hot tub, which he isn't immediately up for. He's not really into this idea says it won't be hot enough. Madison, still with the phone in hand, keeps pressing the issue. Madison, and I think it was Gabriel, I couldn't quite tell, they go outside to get the hot tub going, as Mary in voiceover talks about how they've told some of the older kids about the move. Specifically, they've told Logan, Hunter, Leon, Aspen, and Madison. Janelle, outside, looking at the hot tub, is kind of skeptical of the idea. Calls going from hot to cold like that, heart attack city. I think I spent a weekend in Heart Attack City once in grad school, but I'm never going to tell that story. <laughs> Madison on the couch with the other teens says that when Janelle told her, she informed her mom that she wasn't going. So Madison 
man, I feel for her on this, just really not wanting to move. It's hard to watch a teenager who's in emotional pain try to assert control over their life in a way that they just can't. And that's really what Madison is doing. She sounds very emotional, looking away from the camera a lot. I think looking to her siblings, again, for that sort of support, like Robin was doing with Cody earlier. This is obviously a hard thing for Madison to even discuss. Leon, quite matter-of-factly, says that they cried at the news a lot. Honestly, all the teens on the couch are looking downward. They all look upset visually. In their body language, they look miserable. Madison says all her plans are going to be ruined. Logan talks about how fast they're going to have to move. He makes this broad gesture with his hand and says it sucks everything out, and they have very little time to tie up loose ends. I am really struck by how mature and articulate Logan is. Now, Logan Brown has obviously been parentified from a very young age, but he's also a very genuinely intelligent, emotionally intelligent and intellectual guy, and it really comes through in this moment. Anyway, we cut to Savannah and some snow pants. She's getting ready to go outside, as does Logan, remarking on just how bundled they have to get every time. Logan, if you ever have a whole bunch of kids of your own and they all want to go outside in the snow, you will end up spending more time getting them all in snow pants and coats and <laughs> shoe boots and gloves than they will end up spending outside. But you know what? That's just how you do it. Hunter has some real excitement in his voice, talking about getting in the hot tub. He smiles, he seems quite happy. And Gabriel comes out just roaring with excitement about getting in the tub. Hunter does so, he gets in there kind of gingerly at first, and remarks on the pain he has from going from cold to that much heat on his skin. Once Hunter successfully does this though, the little kids seem quite emboldened inside, jumping up and down. They're yelling about wanting to get in the hot tub as well. Christine says, just go, yes, go, pointing outside. Hunter is absolutely joyous with the physical sensation of being in that heat after being out in the cold. Just yells, oh yeah, in the hot tub. I have got to imagine this felt really good. Like, I had one of those moments I have on the show sometimes where I go, man, I kind of want to do that. And yeah, getting in like that kind of hot tub after being in that kind of extreme cold, it just, it just looked really fun. More kids get in the hot tub, and on the couch, the adults all seem to agree that it really helped the teenagers' moods. Cody's outside in his coat and gloves, and he, total dad mode, just chucks a giant block of snow into the hot tub. McKelty, for her part, picks it up, pitches it right back at him, but unfortunately, does not hit him. <laughs> Cody reacts by smiling and laughing, takes us in stride. Cody seems really happy. He seems to be enjoying this experience with his kids. Cody, talking about not wanting the hot tub to get too cold, he gets scolded by Leon for yelling. Cody doesn't seem to take offense to being kind of course-corrected by his child, but he, he seems a little bit defensive, saying he was just trying to speak over the sound of the hot tub. Leon gives it right back to him, shouting, I can hear you! Cody does seem to be enjoying all this, but he kind of pivots, says he's going to go knock some snow off the roof. Okay. There do seem to be some pretty precarious-looking snowdrifts hanging off of the roof of the cabin, including some pretty big icicles. This reminded me... Let me tell you a quick story. When I worked for a radio station in, like, a former life of mine, let's just say that, my 20s, we had this enormous satellite dish outside, along with the 
radio tower and all kinds of other stuff. So when it snowed a lot, what happens with a satellite dish? The snow collects inside of it. Well, you can't have that because we need the satellite dish to receive signals from the our affiliates and things, right? So stuff that we weren't necessarily broadcasting, but was being beamed to us, if that makes sense. Like say a syndicated show, the syndicated radio personality isn't in our studio. We have to get the signal from, I, I don't know, we had like Rush Limbaugh, Dr. Laura, people like that at the time, Sean Hannity, whatever. And so if the satellite dish was icy and full of snow, we couldn't get the signal. So what happened? Well, 22-year-old Adam would put his coat on and get a big broom and trudge out into the field behind the radio station where the satellite dish was. And I'd take the broom and I would just knock off all the snow out of the satellite dish at like three o'clock in the morning. That job was the best. No, I take it back. This podcast is the best, but it was a fun job. Janelle is concerned that the snowdrifts that are hanging off of the roof could hurt a child. Cody doesn't seem confident that it's going to come off at all. There's one particularly long, kind of scary looking one. Cody is completely confident that it is solid, which makes sense because he immediately knocks it down with a snow shovel, like barely tapping it. He even gets snow dumped right on his head, like he's in an old Buster Keaton movie. Pretty funny. Cody, to his credit, when he knocks off the snowdrift after saying it won't be possible, smiles at Janelle and says, Is that what you wanted? Pretty good humor, good reaction to kind of being wrong, frankly. We see Isabel screaming for her dad's attention as she is rolling down the hill on a sled and immediately eats it at the huge snow pile. Looked painful. You know how kids can just take stuff like that, even though like your body would just completely shatter into a million pieces? On the couch with his wives, Cody is enthusiastically pantomiming, sliding down that steep hill with his hands and crashing, or as he calls it, face planting. He's very excited, very happy, while Christine next to him has an open mouth denoting like disapproval in her face in general. He notices at the end and he looks at her, but they cut away, the editors do, so I don't know what happened after that. There are some very, very rough landings from these kids in these sleds, but they seem quite happy. Cody and Hunter are shoveling some snow from the ramp, as they call it, the big the big snowdrift, to make it steeper. As Cody says, not so much that you can go over it into the house. They do succeed at making it steeper. They don't succeed at the second part. Cody has some banter back and forth with Hunter about who's going to end up going the highest. Seems like healthy competition. Cody slides into the drift and just lays there, kind of like Randy in A Christmas Story. Cody lay there like a slug. It was his only defense. Cody slides down the hill with Robin and Mary all in the same sled, seeming like some real joy in their faces. I, I say this a lot because it's such a contrast with the current seasons. These are people having fun. These are people enjoying each other's company. What a concept. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you rather watch that? Maybe not, actually. I love current, like, you know, winter is coming version of Sister Wives that we've been getting. But this is a nice contrast. Robin and voiceover talking about how Mary all of a sudden wanted to go sledding too, not just the kids, which is an interesting way of phrasing that, because Robin was just going sledding too, so a little discursive separation between her and Mary there. Weird. Cody points out that when he and Robin sled, they slow themselves down so as not to go too fast, and thus not go too far at the bottom of the hill into the snowdrift. 
We see footage of Robin doing this, then Cody sledding and 100% not doing it at all, and in fact nearly goes over the top of the snowbank himself, so Cody was half right. Robin did do that. That was something, wasn't it? The fact that he kind of equated himself with Robin there, even though it's not necessarily how it happened. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, Cannonball Mary barrels down the hill, goes higher at the snowbank than either Robin or Cody. And if that goes ass over tea kettle right at the top, Robin, to her credit, tends to Mary immediately, is concerned. Robin on the couch discusses Mary's crazy streak, and she makes kind of a scary grimace face with wide eyes, I guess denoting how wild Mary gets. Mary seems a little bit defensive looking at Robin, and Robin is not meeting Mary's gaze. She says, sledding isn't that crazy. She, she does, she sounds a little bit defensive. Cody, notably, at this exchange, is smiling at Robin, doesn't look at Mary. So this non-verbally denotes that he is amused by and agreeing with and more focused on Robin's sort of, uh, I don't want to say criticism, but poking fun at Mary more than he wants to engage with Mary's defense of herself. Robin says sledding isn't crazy unless Mary decides to do it. This is starting to get passive-aggressive, officially. She's not sounding in her vocalics, her voice. She doesn't sound warm or friendly, like she's being funny. So it, you could have softened it, but she didn't. It's coming across more harsh than it really had to. Mary back on the sled, gaining speed rapidly, and there she goes, just yeets over the snowbank and into the cabin. Fantastic. Iconic moment. One of my favorites. Just, there she goes, man. Just Superman launches over it. Tremendous. Cody whoops and cheers. He applauds this. He loved it. We cut to some footage from inside the house of Christine, Truly, Aurora, and a cheering hunter in the kitchen watching this happen. They play dramatic music as Madison asks if she hit the side of the house, and Hunter, realizing that she may be hurt, says, uh-oh. Mary, sounding like she all of a sudden has a quick case of strep throat, says, beat that. She's wedged between the snow and the side of the house, and Cody starts to have some concern in his voice as he helps her get up. Mary, still froggy in her tone, says it was awesome, looks at Leon and says, look at your mom go. Cody, with enthusiasm, calls it totally cool. The thing about, like, young Cody Brown, he gets behind stuff, and he gets excited, and he is positive. The producers, I think, made a mistake here, by the way. They put this tense stressful music under what's happening, but everyone is fine. Everyone is talking about how fun and funny it was and how exciting. So I just think from an editing standpoint, yeah, this was kind of a mistake. I like the scene. I just didn't like the music and the choices because they were trying to invoke an emotion that I don't think worked. Mary on the couch waves away any concern physically with her hands, saying she wasn't hurt at all, and Cody's looking at her now smiling. Christine is laughing, saying next time they'll open the window and Mary can fly right into the house. And both her and Mary mirror kind of the same gestures, with each one with an arm illustrating this. That was pretty funny. In the cabin, the teenagers, including Leon, who is holding baby Truly, who is chomping on some fruit, have some voiceover of Robin saying that she knows they're sitting there thinking this is the last Christmas in Utah. So much sitting there. On the couch, the other adults listen to her say this, and they all look concerned. This, this is a big thing for a teenager to shoulder. Leon on the couch fiddles with their necklace and sort of mumbles that they still aren't over it, barely making any eye contact with the camera. I think the necklace touching was some self-soothing for sure. Aspen says that she's mad and then immediately corrects herself and says she's not mad, she's just sad. 
She sounds pretty calm in her voice. I think she's working through things externally, more so than she's overcome with inner emotion. She's not making much eye contact with the camera either. She's talking about not wanting to leave her friends. Madison is very visibly upset. In contrast to Aspen, she looks like she's on the verge of tears. Logan is looking at his siblings. They all seem to be looking at each other a lot, which I think is leaning on each other emotionally. He talks about they might be split up if they don't move. Madison, I think, quite eloquently says, we all know what it is we're leaving behind. I thought that was such a mature, poignant way to phrase that, by the way. We all know what it is we're leaving behind. Isn't that every move ever? Good or bad or indifferent? Even even like the best moves, you know, for like a great job or just a really great opportunity or just, just a move you're excited about. You still know exactly the good things that you're leaving behind. Footage of the cabin with Browns continuing to decorate the tree that they bought from my future BFF Moonshine Matt. They are preparing a non-Rice Krispie turkey, which is coming out of the oven. Remember folks, Cody used to like Mary's turkey. He signed up to like Mary's turkey. To be clear though, it appears that Christine was making the turkey, but he did also sign up to like Christine's turkey. On the couch, Christine almost apologetically says that she likes working in the kitchen together. I think she was phrasing it that way and with that tonality because of the kitchen issue from earlier on in the family timeline. How, you know, sharing a kitchen can be abusive, as Cody put it. Mary holds her thumb and forefinger a tiny bit apart, saying the kitchen could be just a little bigger, which gets a big laugh from Christine. Cody even makes like a silent whistle gesture, saying small kitchen for four wives. This came across as putting a good spin on a delicate issue, as sometimes happens. The kitchen, by the way, does look very small in the footage of the cabin. At one point, several wives are in there with their aprons on. Mary's, of course, is Americana-themed. I wonder if she made it herself. The kitchen is cute. It's decorated nice. A bunch of soup bowls with the word soup helpfully stenciled on them. Nice. Interestingly, Robin says that she felt it was kind of Christine and Mary's kitchen. And Mary immediately apologizes, which seems to frustrate Robin. She balls her fists, looks upward in frustration, says it's not a bad thing. Robin starts stumbling over her words a lot and says she just needs to assert herself more. Yeah, you're, you're gonna assert yourself more. Yeah, you, yeah, don't, don't worry about that. Christine says that's true, and Christine says she's just used to that kind of dynamic at the big house. Christine says to Robin, you never want to infringe on anyone. Robin immediately agrees. Yeah, if there's one thing Robin Brown is known for, it is not infringing on anyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. More Brown family jokes that aren't jokes, as Mary says, We all know it's Christine's kitchen. It's okay. Christine doubles over and hides her face in her hands. I think this is more passive-aggressive, referencing their former issues. Not working through them, just joking and pretending like they're done. Christine says she wasn't meaning to be dominating, and she says it quite loudly over some crosstalk from the other Browns. Bashfully, she says she loves cooking for people, and Mary tries to soothe her, saying she didn't think she was dominating at all, and yet Mary started this whole dynamic. I don't think Mary was purely joking. Cody notably looks down, smiling, doesn't say a word, doesn't want to get involved in this conversation. Cody talks about watching his wives together in a kitchen and makes the infamous knocking hips comment. Robin recounts Cody getting, as she puts it, all doughy-eyed about watching them. 
She cocks her head to the side and says, Oh, my wives are in the kitchen together cooking. And she laughs, and so does Mary at Cody. There's more relationship building and playfulness, I think, from Robin, putting, you know, positive spins on things. Janelle notably is not cooking and is holding truly, and on the couch with wide eyes and emphasis, she says, her domestic skills are significantly lower than other skills. We know she kisses better than she cooks. She says since she doesn't know what to do, she disengages, which I think is both relatable for me personally and also just in general quite a reflexive thing to know that about yourself. Christine looks concerned on the couch, shaking her head and frowning, telling Janelle she's not less domestic. And Janelle continues, and notably Cody reaches as far as he can on the couch behind Christine to touch Janelle. I think he knows this is a sensitive issue. Janelle references early in the family her being called lazy or whatever. And Cody, I think performatively, looks at the camera this moment, putting on this confused face. No, no, Cody knows exactly what she means. This is something Mary used to say to her when Janelle first entered the family. But Cody's putting on this Cody doesn't want to acknowledge that to the camera. So he made this face like, I don't know, what is she talking about? Mary, by the way, quite unreadable in this moment. I, I couldn't pick up on any kind of emotion. But Janelle is clearly referencing Mary used to call her lazy. Christine, quite pragmatically and impressively, says, okay, well, what would make it better? That's a good question to ask people. Janelle doesn't know, which is also a fair answer. Janelle, I think, looking right at Mary, says, just don't expect me to be much help in the kitchen when we're all together. And Janelle laughs, and Mary laughs silently, but it seems like uncomfortable laughter. Cody is still eyes downcast. He does not like this. He does not like the invoking of, like, serious issues they've had here on the couch right now. He does not like it. All the brown kids are sitting on couches or the floor, getting to count to three to open their pajamas. Gabe was wearing a nice Superman t-shirt, by the way. Very cool. Black with, like, the white Superman logo. I love that. Mary, again, explains the whole pajama tradition that she's had since Leon was two. Says the kids expect it. And Logan very kindly says to the camera, I can't wait to sleep in these tonight. What a sweet guy to say that. Hunter helps baby truly look at her pajamas. Hunter and Logan are the MVPs of, like, positive masculinity in this show so far, by the way. Anyway, someone shouts, fashion show, not fashion show at lunch. That's for Pam Beasley only. The adults laughing on the couch about this with Janelle saying she doesn't know how the fashion show aspect started. Mary and Robin do a weird ring around the rosy dance for a seated Cody who smiles approvingly. Mary is not satisfied by this and annoyed asks, where's her applause? So Cody dutifully applauds. The kids all strut down and show off their pajamas doing various dance moves. All of them seem very happy and into this, including the teenagers. Christine even holds baby truly and <laughs> shows off her pajamas and, ah, oh, I love a little baby. Big group photo of all the brown kids in their pajamas. Again, they all seem quite happy. It is Christmas morning at this point, not light out yet. We see the cabin lit up from inside, and it's almost buried in snow, and I am obsessed with this. I looked at this picturesque scene of this, like, cabin lit up from inside, covered in snow banks, and I'm like, can I afford to buy a cabin? No. <laughs> I could buy some Lincoln Logs, maybe, but someday. I, I would love, I would love this. Like, it's one of my bucket list things that I'll probably never do, but I would love to have, like, a cabin somewhere in the Midwest that, like, 
during like break or something, I could just pack up all the kids and my lovely wife and just go just chill for a while. I could always rant, I guess, but I don't know. It'd just be nice to have that. That's one of those things that I don't think I'll ever do, but I like to think about. The kids are being woken up saying Merry Christmas. Janelle's fiddling with a TV set that's on as Garrison gets up. I think it was left on all night because she turns it off as she's walking away. Maybe maybe Garrison's like me and he needs noise to sleep. Janelle and Logan discuss this massive pile of gifts they have, which Janelle points out is only three presents each for 21 people. That's a lot of crap, y'all. Maybe experiences as gifts would be a good idea? Cody handing out gifts to the mass of brown people. They again explain the gift raffle that the kids do for each other, which Mary calls the funnest part. Says that the kids are almost more happy to give instead of get. And I think that's, that's a lovely sentiment. If you can instill that in children, that's a very healthy thing to do. Anyway, Aurora gets an apron from Logan and barrels into him, giving him a hug. Isabel does the same for Hunter. Mary gets another Precious Moments-type figure, which is called Sisters Dancing. This is from Robin. Robin takes a photo of her. Mary calls the Sisters theme a sweet thing between them, and Robin nods in agreement, obviously pleased at how this gift was received. Robin says, as sister wives, you develop a sister-like relationship. Thank you for that. And Mary makes a sincere, closed-mouth smile and nods at this. Mary very moved by this gift. She loved this. She's wiping away tears looking at the statue. Good for her. Christine, I think, reacting to the closeness shown between Mary and Robin says sometimes it ebbs and flows as to which sister wife you're closest to. I think she might have felt a little bit insecure in comparison in that moment. Christine does seem to struggle with situations when she feels insecure. Cody frowns in what I interpreted as, like, mock concern, asking has she ever been closer to a sister wife than to him? And there's a pause, and Christine looks genuinely surprised that he asked that question. She doesn't speak right away. He says he's just curious. He may be serious here, actually. It's kind of hard to tell. She says no, she's always been closer to him, and points a thumb at him. He looks around asking anybody? This is awkward. Mary points out, I think fairly, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison, and Robin vocally agrees. I think Cody put people on edge. I don't think they were comfortable with this question. McKelty very excited to get a very old cell phone. They weren't old then, but technology's weird, right? How much it changes. Christine explains that it's for McKelty to keep in contact with her Utah friends after the move, so big oof. Cody puts an arm around Christine and gets right in her face. I hated all of this, by the way. Frowning, asking, are you still confused on if we're going to move or not? In this, like, pandering dad-to-a-child way. He's got all the kindness and support for his struggling wife that you would get from a 1980s PE teacher asking why you're not going to climb the ropes in front of everybody. Just dick move. Christine is visibly upset. She quietly says, yep. And Robin, being Robin, chooses to try to chime in and says she's a choice just like all of us, which thank you for nothing. Christine says she doesn't want to move, doesn't want to move their kids. She likes where they're at. Cody just says, hmm, and frowns. Mary's looking at the floor. Robin stares directly at Cody, because she's, I think, really monitoring what he says and does. Cody, very subdued, looking down, says she wants something miraculous, something, and he trails off, says he doesn't even know. 
looks at Christine and says, he can't change his mind just because... And Christine says, you're not even listening to my point of view. Cody disagrees, and Christine is quiet but serious, says, well, you say we're moving regardless of what I say. So they're kind of both right here. Like, I do think Cody's listening to her say this, but, like, they are going to move, no matter what she says. So he could still hear her out more. Robin interjects again at this point, saying, tell her why they should move, Cody. I'm pretty sure Christine knows why they should move. Robin just, just, just doesn't know when to stay out of things. Christine specifically said she wants to be heard. Just now. Christine did not say she wanted to be spoken to. Robin is telling Cody we'll talk to her more, but Christine just said that's not what she wants. When Christine says she doesn't want to make decisions in fear, Cody tells Christine he's sorry he's made a decision for him in faith. And she talks over him a bit, clarifying it's his decision for the entire family, so not just him. Cody, I think, takes this personally. He says so he shouldn't lead in so many words. For Christine, this is what happens, I bet, all the time. She now has to soothe him, even though she's the upset one in this moment. Says they chose him, of course he should lead. She just, she's just asserting her feelings. She's having a hard time. She has no power. She has no control. Cody doesn't validate any of this. Just says that for the family to function in peace, we need to move. That may be true. I mean, we could argue whether that ultimately was true or not, but that's not the point. She's just saying, can you empathize with me? Can we do this thing, but can you just care that I hate this? Those aren't mutually exclusive things. Cody doesn't do any of that. He's just refuting her instead of acknowledging her. And Christine just says very quietly, I just don't want to. Cody looks down and almost petulantly says, sorry. This whole thing made my blood pressure spike. As, as a relational communication person, I would say don't do anything Cody did. Like, did Christine handle this the best she possibly could have? Probably not, but she was being open. She was saying, here's what I need. Here's what I don't need. Here's how I feel. That's about the best she can do. Anyway, time for snowmobiles. Again, putting helmets on the kids. This looks so fun. Holy crap. I've never been on a snowmobile in my life. I've done other things. I've been on ATVs. I've been on boats. Never been on a snowmobile. Marion voiceover is talking about trying to distract the teens, which honestly I think is a good choice. On the couch, Madison and Aspen both sound sad about what they have to do to stay together. Cody on the couch now at least has his arm around Christine, continuing to, I guess, try to address her feelings, saying no one wants to have to do this. He starts to say in spite of and sort of dramatically trails off, but doesn't. I think this was performative. I think he's sort of acting like he's overcome by emotion, but he doesn't change the volume of his speech, so this rang false to me. It says, in spite of any potential collateral damage in the children's emotions, finances, etc., he says, in spite of all that, he knows what needs to happen. Cody loses his thought at this point. Janelle starts to chime in, but kind of doesn't, and she cedes conversation to Christine, who very bluntly says she thinks Cody wants to move, that he's excited to move. I think she's right, by the way. She sounds stern, and honestly, she sounds disappointed. Says she feels he's excited to move, to start over. He doesn't want to do this anymore. Notably, Robin starts saying no, no, shaking her head, trying to credential herself to Cody. This, I cannot emphasize this enough, is not her place to speak up. This is about how Christine is feeling, and I think Robin weighing in again and again and again in the situation was inappropriate. I talked about this specific thing 
when I had my conversation with Ace and Caitlin from Love Should Be Multiplied, Not Divided on their Patreon. And I really think the Brown family culture is about trying to find something new to fix situations, trying to look for outside things that can fix inner turmoil. And a lot of that is just moving. Anyway, Cody called out, starts stammering, and looks frustrated, says, I, I, I'm doing that for the sake of leadership. Cody's looking around. I don't know if he's legitimately lying, but he's on the defensive here. Christine even asks him incredulously, like, you don't want to move? Cody points out that if he goes out kicking and screaming, it'll have an impact on everyone else. Christine seems to accept this. She sort of rolls her eyes a bit, not sarcastically, but I think denoting surprise. So she again thought he wanted to move. She says, I guess you're being optimistic, quietly, but it sounds kind of like sarcasm. I don't think that she's completely convinced of this at this point. Teenagers are on the couch, still quite sad. Most of them have tears in their eyes, or at the very least are emotional. Hunter explains with a lot of maturity for his age that it's better to move than stay and get separated. Cody on the couch stumbles a lot over his words, frowning, talking about how hard it is for the kids to leave the lives they love. Madison talks about her best friend and how they were going to be legends in this town. Madison has gotten dunked on for this line a lot, but y'all, that's how I talked at her age. My small town was the center of the universe. I never thought I'd move away. I never intended to move away when I was a teenager. I just wanted to be like a legendary figure in my like podunk small town. I just, I completely get what she's saying based upon where she's at in her maturity and, and in her life. Hunter, very emotional, crying, can't get his words together. Madison says they're all going to cry because Hunter never cries. Hunter, just heartbroken about leaving. He tries to compose himself as best he can, talking about his friends, his relatives, his football team, all the things he's going to leave. Wipes away tears, says it's going to be tough. He has so much maturity, so much strength. When you contrast him or Logan or even Aspen to these adults, the maturity is so much more significant in these young people. He's going to have a tougher time later. He doesn't always act mature right in this process, but I think he earned that pain. And that's the end of the episode. Yikes, that took a turn at the end, didn't it? Thank you for listening. Once again, thank you to all my patrons at patreon.com slash the Sister Wives Professor. If you want to hear me talk in depth about Sister Wives content, if you like the sound of my voice and you want me to talk calmly to you about positive things, I have what are called office hours podcasts where that's what I do. No music, intro or outro. I just talk nicely to you for a while and try to make you feel good about life. And hey, if you're interested in me covering like I do this, things like Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, or Welcome to Plathville, that's available on Patreon too. But no matter what, you are important and you make this podcast possible. I'm Dr. Adam. I'm the Sister Wives Professor. I'm a teacher, I'm a researcher, and I'm a follower of Sister Wives. And I want to thank you today for letting me be your noise. Please be kind to yourself, because you deserve kindness. I can't wait to talk to you more. I will see you later. Mm -hmm.